the Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. We have the described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. Cup of murder. It's no secret that most true crime stories center around the crimes of a male killer. That's not to say that women don't commit heinous acts. It's just not something we hear about as often. On September 2nd, 1884, a woman was born whose name and crimes would become the stuff of folklore. So if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Wilhelmina Minnie Dean was born on September 2, 1844, in Greenock, Scotland. Not much is known about her young life, but by the early 1960s, she was living in New Zealand with two young children claiming she was the widow of a Tasmanian doctor. In 1872, she married an innkeeper named Charles Dean, and the two lived in Etal Creek, a popular stop on the way to the goldfields. As the gold rush died down, the couple began looking for new ways to make money. Their dire financial situation led them to taking unwanted children in exchange for payment, something commonly referred to as baby farming. As we learned with a past case, in an era where there were very few methods of contraception and childbirth outside of marriage was frowned upon, baby farming was a lucrative and seldomly monitored business. She had many customers, and it is believed that she was responsible for as many as nine children at any given time. She placed advertisements in the newspaper all across the South Island, noting she was a respectable woman looking to adopt a child to live in her comfortable home in the country. Another thing you need to know is that infant mortality was a significant problem in New Zealand at the time. So as time went on, a number of children in Minnie's care died of various illnesses. Like in 1889, when she lost a six-month-old infant, And just two years later, a six-week-old infant died of inflammation of the heart valves and congestion of the lungs. There was no doubt that she loved her charges. She just simply didn't have the means to care for them the way she needed. After the death of the six-week-old, police looked into the premises and found that they were inadequate. Not only that, but she had tried unsuccessfully to take out life insurance policies on some of the children. Police began monitoring her more closely, and in 1892, they took charge of a three-week-old Minnie had adopted for just 25 pounds from a single mother. When they found the baby, she was being fed from a bottle with curdled milk, completely filthy, and so worse for wear that her mother barely recognized her. She had only been in Minnie's care for two days. The baby's life was saved, and surveillance of Minnie was increased. 
Then, in 1894, a boy drowned while in her care, and instead of reporting the incident, she simply buried him in the garden. A coroner's inquest was held and determined that the children who died within her care were the product of a universally poor standard of hygiene and that Minnie could not be held responsible. But from then on, no one seemed to trust Minnie, especially not with their children. It was around this time that in New South Wales, John and Sarah Macon were being charged for their crimes against children. We covered their story last month and know what a media sensation their murders were. With this story circulating, people began to speculate that, just like John and Sarah, Minnie was killing off the children in her care and collecting her payments. The problem was, because childcare legislation was so laxed, Minnie didn't have to keep a record of her charges. Therefore, proving that they had disappeared would be difficult. In May of 1895, while the rumors were still swirling, Minnie was seen getting onto a train carrying a young baby and a hat box. When she left the train, she was only carrying the box. A box that, according to a railway porter, was heavier than the standard hat. The police were called and searched for the child. Eventually, her corpse was found in Minnie's garden along with the bodies of two other children. A woman named Jane Hornsby would later come forward stating that she had given her granddaughter, Eva, to Minnie, but when asked to produce the child, Minnie could not. Jane later identified Eva's clothing inside of Minnie's home. Her body was the one speculated to have been in the hat box, and it is believed that she died from suffocation. The other body was identified as one-year-old Dorothy Edith Carter. Her cause of death was an overdose of laudanum, a common drug used to sedate infants. Minnie Dean was charged with murder, and while awaiting trial, wrote a 53-page statement explaining what happened with the hatbox baby. According to her story, when she arrived on the train, she had laid the baby down on the cushion to sleep. Just before boarding, she had dosed her with the laudanum, stating that the baby was ill and that she must have misjudged her dosage. She realized later that the baby had passed away and, panicked, placed her in the box so no one would see her. That Eva's death was all an accident. Just before her trial, four other women had been tried and sentenced to death for similar crimes. But with each, the sentence was commuted to life imprisonment. Minnie assumed she would get a similar deal, especially since she assured the court that the deaths were all accidental or out of her control. But as far as the public was concerned, she was a cold-hearted criminal. Some even sold souvenirs outside of the courthouse, a baby doll inside of a hat box. On June 21, 1895, Minnie Dean was found guilty of Dorothy Carter's murder and sentenced to death. While awaiting for her execution, Minnie wrote an account of her life. She stated that, in total, she cared for 28 children. Out of these, five were in good health when her home was raided, six died under her care, and one was reclaimed by her parents. That meant that there were 14 children unaccounted for by her own account. On August 12, 1895, Minnie Dean was led to the gallows and became the only woman to have ever been executed in New Zealand history. She was buried alongside her husband in Winton. After her death, Minnie became something of a legend. There was folklore told for years that no plants grew on her grave, and she became the boogeyman for misbehaving children. Their parents would threaten to send naughty kids to Minnie's farm to straighten them out. And to add to the mystery, in 2009, Minnie's headstone disappeared and was replaced by another that said, Minnie Dean is part of Winton's history. Where she now lies is now no mystery. 
Folklore aside, her crimes led to the belated passage of the child welfare legislation in New Zealand. Both the Infant Life Protection Act of 1893 and the Infant Protection Act of 1896. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on September 3rd. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, easy to listen to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. So make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again, and have a wonderful day.